Good morning. Uh, first of all, I want to thank Dan and the worship team and all of you for preaching my sermon for me already. Uh, thank you very much. I'm going to go ahead and preach anyway, though. Um, uh, no, I just praise the Lord. Uh, when he speaks, he speaks very clearly. And uh, I know we're all blessed. Uh, this morning, I want to preach about receiving the gift of Jesus. That's what I felt like the Lord wanted us to talk about this morning. And uh, it's based on Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. That's a comforting thought these days. Right? Uh, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, I learned these words very well uh, when I was in elementary school. Um, at Christmas, our elementary had a special liturgy that was like 100 years old. It was called the Ungamak Liturgy. Uh, and it was it was uh, written by a teacher long ago uh, for, from our school and church. And uh, I won't sing it for you this morning, but that's always what that reminds me of. But that part about to us, a son is given. So the gift of Jesus, we receive a son. And the question is, how do you receive a son? What does that mean? Um, and I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, Michael and Lydia received a son recently, right? How are they receiving him? Well, I think they have, he's been a catalyst of great change in their household. And I think they have devoted more energy and time uh, to him probably than they've ever served anybody before. Uh, I'm guessing because of experience, and those of you who have had babies uh, know the same thing. Um, I'm sure they're giving their best to Elliot, right? Uh, so that's kind of a picture. How, how do we receive a son? Uh, we received a couple sons back from college in the last week, and actually a Chinese son from Georgia Tech, Meow Meow there. And, uh, um, you know, it's changed our routine too because uh, when they're here, uh, we try to ensure that we have quality and quantity of time with them, right? We uh, drop some things in order to be with them, right? We do the same thing for our daughters as well, uh, but if that happened, but we're not going to speak of that possibility anymore here this morning. Uh, I, can't, I can't think about that. Um, but the son mentioned in Isaiah is a different one than what we're talking about, any human child. Uh, greater than all others, a gift far more precious to all of us. He is Christ. He's the king of the whole universe who has come to bring us salvation. I want to read from Isaiah chapter 9, the first seven verses. And I'm sorry, something bad happened with my PowerPoint between my computer and this one. I did not mean it for it to be black words on the screen. Um, they were white at home. They were. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. 
In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So let's talk about this child who has been born, this son who has been given to the world. It said that he will deliver those who are in distress from our gloom. I'm sure you've been in distress. There's all kinds of distress and all kinds of gloom. Um, it talked about Zebulun and Naphtali, that they had been humbled in the past. How, did, how was that? Well, um, those two tribes of Israel were the farthest north, and they were actually the first ones who were destroyed and taken into captivity over their idolatry uh, back in like around 700 BC. Uh, they were the first ones conquered by the Assyrians. And uh, it was their fault. It was because they had repeatedly broken their covenant with God. But what it's saying, what it's prophesying is, you know, that territory that they had later was called Galilee. And there was somebody who came up out of Galilee and started preaching in a town called Capernaum where he started his ministry. That's where Jesus started his ministry. Where the first ones who were uh, punished for breaking the old covenant were the, ones, the first ones who were delivered by Jesus when he sent his son. Isn't that awesome, the way God did that? Uh, to restore a new covenant. It said he shatters the yoke that burdens us as in the day of Midian's defeat. And of course the yoke is sin and everything that comes from sin. And we've got all kinds of burdens um, because of that. There's the curse. Um, what defeat is it talking about? Well, you know the story of Gideon, right? And, uh, and it's that Gideon was under oppression of Midian to such an extent. When God spoke to Gideon, he was in a wine press threshing, a wine press threshing wheat. In other words, he was hiding. A, a wine press was underground, underground level, below ground level. 
And he was hiding out the rest of the week because the Midianites were stealing all of their harvest, uh, taking every good thing from them. They were under that oppression. But it was their own fault. It was, uh, it was sent from God because of their idolatry. In fact, the first thing Gideon was told to do is go tear down the altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole um, in his father's town. And, um, and so it was their fault, but it was a terrible oppression. But God raised up Gideon and shattered it. And there was no doubt that he did it, because how many men did Gideon have after God whittled down his army? 300. And how many men did the Midianites have? We know at least 135,000 in their army, uh, from what it says. And, uh, and so there's no doubt it was God. You know, go back to that last line, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And if you think something is impossible, no, nothing is impossible with God. It's impossible with men, but not with God. And uh, it says he will reign on David's throne and rule his kingdom forever. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. You don't see those two words together very often, greatness and government uh, today. But, uh, but there will be no end. In other words, he is the king who is coming to rule forever. There will be no more injustice, no more corruption, no more sin, no more health care problems, no more immigration problems, no more, no more of any of the things that trouble this world now because he is coming. Messiah, well, he's, he has come and he's coming again. It says that the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Do those things sound impossible? Not with God. Um, it's, it was never going to happen naturally. And we put our hope in certain leaders but you know what? It's not the leaders. It's never, it was never going to happen. Uh, we, sometimes we put our hope in ourselves and how hard we try, but it was never going to happen that way. Uh, um, without the Lord, none of us are faithful. The devil's done his worst to try to stop it from coming. But you know what it says? Zeal. God really, really desires um, for his people to be delivered. He desires us and to establish his perfect kingdom with us forever. It's going to happen because he really wants it. He's not just tolerating us like, look at this mess you got into and I had to come down and get you out of it. That's, that's not the way he looks at it. But it's, he desires it. When you look at uh, Psalm 2, Psalm 2 uh, is another prophetic psalm about the Messiah. And it talks about how people ought to receive the Son of God, the Christ. And it starts out, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? Is there conspiring and plotting going on these days? Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against 
his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. We see that very vividly today. People throwing off what they consider God, the shackles of, of God's laws. And uh, uh, the persecution we pray for our brothers and sisters every week. We see that. Um, but the, th- the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. That seems strange to mix those two things. Fear, celebrate with trembling. Uh, what does that mean, you know? But I was thinking, to fear the Lord, you know, we celebrate because he is so good. He is awesome and he is good to us. He's our father and he loves us. But he's powerful, right? And without him, is unthink- to be without him, it's unthinkable for us. And so, It's saying, fear the Lord, that's a good thing. But you know also, when we fear the Lord, we don't have to fear anybody or anything else. And that's a reason to celebrate. You know, he is powerful, he is awesome. We can't forget who he is, but he is good. So we celebrate. You see all the times where these passages talk about rejoicing and celebrating? That uh, uh, we might celebrate sometimes when somebody wins an election, I remember being in China, and my Peace Corps neighbors were celebrating. I could hear them outside when Obama uh, won his election in 2008. Um, but we, we celebrate our king who has come and has established his kingdom. It's already established, and it's going to come into fruition. Um, and then the last verse, 12. Kiss the sun or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So the psalm gives a picture of a people rebelling against the God and Father, the king who made them, uh, mistaking the secure membership in his family uh, for shackles and bondage something that they they should rebel against. Uh, What deception. Um, What foolishness. And so it says, he laughs at the arrogance of their foolish rebellion. He laughs, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't break his heart, right? but, But for his enemies, those who oppose him, um, you know, they may think that they are Strong, they may think they are right, but not to God. And, uh, you know, this also is a prophecy about Christ. It talks about, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. 
And that, of course, is Jerusalem. That's where the temple was, and that's the place where Christ was crucified for us. And that is when he installed his king. And he is reigning and ruling now. Um, It talks about an inheritance that Jesus received. What was it? What did he get for all of his trouble? The nations. Us. His people. And evidently he thinks that is a, a good return. That he loves us. Uh, you know, Daryl got up this morning and with that passion, just the, he, he was, God was giving him revelation into his own heart. God's heart for us. How much he loves us. How much he how much we are worth to him. You know, there's a scripture that says, together we've all become worthless through our sin. But that, we made ourselves worthless, but Christ redeemed us and brought us back to our full worth, which is so much that Christ, that God the Father rejoices over us, that he would give everything to redeem us back. Um, and at the end we're warned for our own good kiss the sun what does that mean kiss the sun well it's talking about paying homage to a ruler right to bow uh, kiss his feet or kiss uh, kiss his hand uh, kiss his I don't know what I've never done that with a king before but anyway um, except for God you know Um, it means submit to his rule in our lives with godly fear. And, but in this, again, we rejoice and celebrate for we are blessed to belong to such a good Lord. Have you ever been glad to belong to somebody? Because in the world, people don't, that's sinful nature does not like to be, belong to anybody. Uh, it's, it's my body, it's myself, I can do what I want. That's, that, of course, is a lie but it's good to belong. All of us have belonged to our parents. Uh, Some of us belong to a spouse. Um, But to belong to Jesus is better than any of that. Uh, In Matthew Henry's commentary about these verses, it says this, I want to read it to you. To welcome Jesus Christ and to submit to him is our wisdom and interest Let him be very dear and precious. Love him above all. Love him in sincerity. Love him much as she did to whom much was forgiven and in token of it kissed his feet in Luke 7.38. And with a kiss of loyalty, take this yoke upon you and give up yourselves to be governed by his laws. You know, it says he'll ruin, rule with an iron scepter, right? But we know, living in our society, some people don't want to be governed. They reject <laughs> the leadership, right? Uh, and sometimes we do too. But give yourself up to be governed by his laws, disposed of by his providence, and entirely devoted to his cause. Unbelief is a sin against the remedy. It will be utter destruction to yourselves, lest you perish in the way of your sins and from the way of your vain hopes, lest your way perish 
lest you prove to have missed the way of happiness. Christ is the way. Take heed, lest ye be cut off from him as your way to God. So, just a, a great explanation of what it means to submit to the Son with godly fear, because he is everything to us. He is our way. He's our only way. And Satan has always tried to motivate men to cut themselves off from the Messiah. I mean, if you look through, go through the whole Old Testament starting from the beginning to the book of Revelation, uh, we see many times in Scripture how Satan wars against the son of David. Uh, do you guys remember the story of Joash, who was seven years old when he became king of Judah? His great-grandfather was a guy named Jehoshaphat. You may have heard of him before. Jumpin', he liked to jump, I guess. Jumpin' Jehoshaphat. Uh, but he was, he was one of the good ones. He was one of the best ones, but he did one foolish thing. He gave his son over in a covenant, a marriage covenant, with a, a daughter of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel of Israel. Uh, those were the most, some of the most infamous ones, right? So one of the best ones gave his son to marry and made a covenant with, with the most evil ones. And that didn't turn out well. In fact, God warned him at the time. That was foolish. You did a very foolish thing. And he repented, but some, some damage was done. And uh, yeah, that just reminds us, choose your spouse carefully, right? <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, uh, this girl's name was Athaliah. And uh, Jehoshaphat had a wicked son and then a wicked grandson, and together the two of them ruled Judah for a total of nine years. That's, uh, and, uh, and the first one, Jehoram, murdered all of his brothers. Uh, those were descendants in the line of David. Um, so then the other one was murdered uh, after one year. And that's when Queen Mother Athaliah put to death all of her grandsons. What a woman. So that she could become queen. It looked as if the last of David's line had been snuffed out. But it wasn't true. One little baby had been rescued. His name was Joash. And the priest, a very courageous priest, Jehoiada, and his wife Jehosheba, who is also in the royal family, uh, rescued the little baby and hid him in the temple for six years. And then, uh, and it turns out God had protected his line. Uh, I want to read you some notes from uh, a Bible that I was recently given called the Jesus Bible about this story. It said, When the wicked Athaliah saw that her son Ahaziah was dead, she attempted to murder all of his sons, but Joash was hidden away. The background to this story was the promise of offspring. In Genesis 3.15, God promised a war between the serpent's offspring and the woman's offspring. That meant that there would be a great cosmic war throughout history where Satan would attempt to wipe out the line of the Messiah before the Savior came. 
He moved Cain to murder Abel, Pharaoh to kill the Hebrew males, Haman to attempt to exterminate the Jews in the book of Esther, and Herod to attempt to kill Jesus. Athaliah attempted to kill all of David's royal descendants, which would have put an end to the promise that a descendant of David would establish an eternal kingdom. Her attempt seemed successful, and the promises... Sorry. <clears throat> I think the thing coming up is one of the big things God wants to speak today, because it's already been spoken. Um, the promises to David look dead in Jerusalem tombs. Um, but God has a way of, of resurrecting seemingly dead promises. I think we've heard that already this morning. Um, and I think God specifically wanted to say it this morning to some of you. That's a good word for some of you. God has a way of resurrecting seemingly dead promises. When Joash finally was revealed as alive, a coup was staged. Athaliah was killed and David's offspring once again assumed the throne. The Lord brought life out of what seemed like death. God so loved the world that he would not allow the line of the Messiah to be wiped out. And when the time was right, he brought forth a son of David who brings everlasting life to all who believe in him. Praise the Lord. You can shout now. That's good. Praise the Lord. Wow. So God, God rules. Jesus reigns. Um, and even though the foolish, even through the foolish tragedy of human history, uh, we have examples of how kings ought to receive God's gift of his son, the king of kings. And in the Christmas story, we have a big example of it. Um, take note of how the Magi from the east received the promised Messiah when they discovered the star, the sign of his coming. Uh, it's, I'll read it from it in Matthew 2, starting at verse 9. After they had heard the king, the one who was trying to kill the Messiah, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So how did the wise men receive the son? Firstly, they stopped what they were doing and made a great journey to come to him. It must have taken them months, maybe more. Um, <laughs> you know, they were not too busy. They were not too tired. You know, um, they, they stopped what they were doing and that was so important to them. Uh, secondly, it says they were overjoyed at the prospect of his coming. You know, there's a verse that says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You know, we, we're overjoyed. We should be overjoyed to come and meet with him. Finding him, they bowed down and worshipped him. And it was said this morning earlier, worship is not just some, an exercise we go through. 
And it's not just like, oh, I can go out and sit in my tree stand in nature and worship God. You know, I feel it in here. No, proclaim it. Bow down. Lift up your hands. Worship matters. And they bowed, these, these important people, kings or whatever they were, bowed down and worshipped him, even though he was just a baby. <laughs> Some would say, he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't even know he's being worshipped. But they knew what was going on, and they knew they needed to kiss the sun. And finally, they paid tribute to him with treasures. And, uh, and the question is, do we willingly and gladly give to him our treasures? What are our treasures? You know, it might not be money. Uh, what, what is treasured to us, and do we lay it before him? And that's what Jesus said. Jesus told the parable of the pearl the great, of great price, which could refer to God, but it can also refer to us, you know, that we would be willing to lay down whatever, anything, no matter how dear it is to us, to receive him. You know, we live in a time and generation that has, where there's a high amount of selfishness and distraction. Maybe the world's always been like that, but it feels that way today. Uh, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there was no room for him in the inn. Think of what we declare when we sing the song, the carol, Joy to the World. Are our hearts preparing him room? Are we receiving our king better than the town of Bethlehem did that night? Or do we go about our daily business oblivious to him? Let's sing that first verse of that song. Can you sing it together with me? Kathy, can you give us the starting note? <laughs> to the world the Lord has come. Let earth receive the King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven nature sing. Yeah, what truth. Those, those old traditional Christmas carols are great to preach from. I used to do that in China. Um, but, you know, there were, there actually were some around the neighborhood of Bethlehem who did receive Jesus that night, though. Uh, they'd been doing the job that they, got, they had been given to do, and, and that was to keep watch. And uh, in Luke 2, it was the shepherds. In Luke 2, 8 to 11, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So these shepherds, while waiting for the Messiah, like everyone else was, were doing their job. Uh, and God made sure they did not miss out on the event. And like them, we are waiting for Jesus to come, right? Because 
He's already come as a baby, but he's promised he's returning again. And so every Christian at Christmas, we should be thinking about his return. And uh, like the, the shepherds and the magi, we too are going to see a shining event in the sky. Right? That's interesting. Um, and like them, we must keep watch and not become distracted or fall asleep. This is what Jesus told us Mark, in Mark 13, verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. Uh, New King James says, watch and pray. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Wow, yeah, Jesus thought that was, uh, that was very important to him. What, what task has the master given you to do while you await his coming. He hasn't given the same work to each of us. There's a servant for every job that needs to be done, right? But what, what task has the master given to you? That's an important question to ask him, right? Lord, what are you asking me to do? And am I doing it? Are you doing it? Are you keeping watch over your flocks by night? Who are the people he has given you to minister to? If we keep a watch over the people and the work he's given to us, we will see him when he comes and know when he is moving. You might say, well, actually, I'm not a pastor. <laughs> but how many of you know pastors are not the only ones who have been given people to keep watch over? So have moms and dads. And you've all, we've all been given neighbors, co-workers, and all kinds of other people to keep watch over, right? You do have a flock. So as we celebrate Christmas, first of all, have you received the gift from God? The gift of salvation, the gift of life, but also the other gifts. You know, he's broken the yoke of oppression. He's already done that at the cross. The gift of health, the gift of his spirit, and everything that comes with that. Let's learn from these examples that we see in Scripture in the Christmas story, the wise men, the shepherds, and receive the royal son with holy fear and with joy, for he is everything that we could want or need. John 16, 24, Jesus said this, and I'll close with this verse. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Holy Father, we praise you. We bless your name. We thank you for Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior. We thank you for your zeal, that you would let nothing cut that off. And we have an enemy, the devil, but he is powerless against you. 
And he influences people to reject you and to cut you off, but you are more powerful than that. And so right now before you, we offer ourselves, we bow the knee and kiss your feet, Jesus. And we acknowledge that you are the Savior. You are the Lord. You are the King of Kings. And you are good. We honor you. We bless your name. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that just like this big promise, you did not let it be thwarted. Though it seemed dark at many times in the, in the history of your people, and there were times they thought the promises failed, it wasn't. And this morning, there were times, we, we each have promises that you've given us, words, and uh, Lord, this morning we declare we believe. We receive your promises and we believe your truth. And we rejoice. Uh, even if it doesn't look good, we rejoice because we know your words never fall to the ground and your promises are true. You are faithful. You are faithful. And we give glory and honor and praise to you. Yes. In Jesus' name, amen.